Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Paddler's Playbook, a kayak fishing experience. Brought to you by Mariner Sales, providing the largest selection of kayaks and kayak accessories since 1975. Real sportswear, get out on the water and wear what the guides wear. Galveston Redfish Series, the largest, most affordable redfish series on the Gulf Coast. Sign up today. Pure Fishing, home to the world's most trusted fishing brands. Now it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy the paddle with your host, Drew Turner. What is up, ladies and gentlemen of podcast land? I'm your host, Drew Turner, coming to you live from the Mariner Sales Studios here in Conroe, Texas. First off, guys, I got to apologize. The next few episodes that are going to come out, you're going to hear me talking in the intro and then a little bit, you know, while we're having conversations. I've been recording these in batches, so I'm doing like four a week. So I'm trying to record enough because you guys know GRS is coming up, tournament season is coming up. I'm trying to record enough where I don't have to mess with any recordings later in the week. That way I can take care of my honeydews, I can take care of anything going on at work, and I can focus on tournament season. So I'm trying to do these in batches, and believe it or not, the guys that I just interviewed, they dropped some juice. So Bones from Feel Free, he dropped some juice. Vinny from... Queen City Kayak Anglers, he dropped some juice. And what I mean by juice is they made some announcements that they haven't released yet to anybody else. So I have to air their episodes a little bit later because they're like, hey, man, you can't air this before the 15th because that's when we're going to drop something. So look for Feel Free to be dropping something on the 15th. I can tell you all that. And then Vinny's like, hey, can you do this after the 20th? So I recorded those episodes, talked about some things. I had my date screwed up. But this episode you guys are about to listen to is very prudent to right now. Because this is going to come out on Thursday before the very first Galveston Redfish Tournament. And if you haven't signed up for that, please get out there, sign up. Get your bro staff jersey. Send me a message about that. I want to see all the bro staff jerseys out there. But this episode that we are about to record and you are about to hear is going to be all about our tournament setups. And it's not just going to be about our tournament setups for Galveston Redfish Series. My guest Matt has been killing it over there in Florida. And when I say killing it, if you see the video for this, he's got the trophy behind him. He is killing it over there in Florida. So I got Matt joining me, and we are going to talk a little bit about some technical stuff. We're going to talk about what we have set up, what we take tournament day, what line we're using, what action we're using. We're going to give you guys some juice on all of our setups for tournaments. But before we get to that, as always, take it away, Jess. Hey, bro staff, it's the month of April, and it's the month of first. Galveston Redfish Series number one kicks off April 15th at Harbor Walk Marina in Hitchcock, Texas. Weigh-in times are 2 to 4 p.m. Get online at GalvestonRedfishSeries.com and register for the largest, most affordable redfish series on the Gulf Coast. 
And if you're an angler that loves to be first, Mariner Sales has an exclusive offer for you. In honor of Old Town's 125th anniversary, they have released a limited edition kayak color. The Grey Ghost is stamped and signed with its limited edition number. Old Town has released several of these amazing kayaks to its biggest retailer, Mariner Sales. Due to its exclusive nature, you can only get these beauties in store. So run, don't walk, and get your Old Town Grey Ghost today. Number one in sportswear, that's the place that Real Sportswear's spring collection has in my heart and in the heart of Texas anglers. Their Texas roots have produced sufficient apparel and clothing that fits the all-or-nothing lifestyle and pays homage to the spirit that defines our unique culture. So log on to sportswear.com today and get the look that belongs in the winner's circle. Guys, I am Saltside Jess, and you are number one in my heart, and I'll see you on the Salt Side. As always, thank you, Jess, for all that information. I think the big thing you guys should take from that, again, event one of Galveston Redfish Series is Saturday. Sign up. Get signed up right now. Right now, right now. I don't want to hear any complaining about growing the sport, growing tournaments, not having big enough payouts if you guys aren't out there signing up for these tournaments. Speaking of tournaments... I see some beautiful blue trophies back there behind my man, Matt. I saw some videos today. Matt, how are you doing today, my man? Pretty good, my man. How are you, Drew? Doing all I'm, right, man? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm hyped up, if you can't tell. Like, I'm bringing, I'm bringing some serious energy today. I'm in a very good mood. I've got my liquid IV over here that I'm drinking. I'm trying yeah. to get ready for this weekend. Like, I do not want to be dehydrated in Anyway, but I had, you know, my tournament's coming up this weekend. Now, you had a tournament last weekend. Is that correct? That's right. Just finished one out this uh, past Saturday. Okay, so so brag about it a little bit. Don't be humble about it. How did you do in the tournament? Uh, I came out with the first place finish. And the one before that? Uh, first place. Finish. First place Finishing both of those tournaments, right? Now, how many anglers are you guys? Because this is the first year of the kayak portion of the Florida Redfish Series. Do you know how many anglers you guys have been having in these? Yeah, normally we have um, over 30, but we've had uh, upwards of 40 um, and almost uh, 50, I think, uh, in Steen Hatchie for the season opener. Uh, we had we had quite a few Um it was it was a lot of kayak anglers, man. This this series is growing really fast, and it's awesome to see. You know, um, all of it really happened so quickly. Now we have Galveston Redfish Series, which is like one of the longest running redfish series in the nation. Here, this is the first year for Florida Redfish Series. Now, are there any other like bigger name or not even bigger name, but are there any other series along the Florida coast that you get out and fish or are you really concentrated on this one? Yeah. The Florida redfish series, they've been around for a few years, but this is their first kayak division year. They 
had a uh, test run last year um, at the end of the year to kind of see if it was something that they wanted to do. And they had uh, about 30 anglers wanting to participate in the test tournament. So they were like, wow, this this is actually something we probably need to look into. So going forward this year, uh, Florida Redfish Series, uh, spend some time getting um, you know, some things together to get a kayak division together. And that's what they did. And they've been doing a great job so far this year. But uh, as far as what I've been fishing as uh, for other tournaments this year so far, I've just been focusing my attentions uh, on that series trail for the most part. There's uh, a few other tournaments that I was uh, that I fished last year and um, was able to participate in some smaller local type events. Um, uh, even a few two day events that I was able to, uh, even win those. Um, but this is, this trail series is, um, really getting my full attention this year. Now there's a little bit of a difference between, you know, GRS, PRL and everything here in Texas and some of the tournaments that they're having in Florida. We were talking a little bit before this. So all of our tournaments are a live weight tournament. But our redfish population is extremely strong. Like, we can still keep three reds a day, you know, a 20 to 28-inch limit. And they're they're pretty, pretty hardy fish. Now, for the Florida Redfish Series, though, you guys have a, a different format. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, uh, at least in the kayak division, we're catch photo release. And, um, you know, each each angler is it's a one-man team so you're um you are submitting two fish for a two fish measurement aggregate but you aren't uh keeping any fish it's all photo catch release yeah because a lot of the places that the tournaments are at you're only legally able to keep one fish and there's some parts of florida now that you can't keep any fish is that i mean i think south of a certain area you you can't keep any redfish anymore yeah the um the redfish rules are constantly changing here in florida and it's different according to what coast you're on uh here where i'm at in the uh the big bend area it's um it's one redfish so uh, we we can't legally harvest two fish to bring in to weigh in. So mm-hmm. for us to even have a two fish tournament, it has to be catch photo release format. Now most of our tournaments here are open boundaries, uh, just meaning you have to be at the weigh in by X amount. You can launch whenever, but first cast is at six fifteen. But you know you can fish. Almost anywhere on the coast, most of the tournaments say within Texas public waters. Some tournaments have boundaries, but those boundaries are like a three-bay system long. I mean, we're talking a, you know, three-hour drive from one bay to the next. So it's pretty much open boundaries. Is it that? Is that the same type of thing with the Florida Redfish Series? Nah, Drew, it's actually pretty cool that you mentioned that. That's one of the cool things about the Florida Redfish Series. All of us are actually strict restricted to the boundaries that were given before the tournament so we know about a month ahead of time what the boundaries are going to be so we're limited to to say um for jacksonville we were limited to um a little bit uh, about 30 miles north and about 30 miles south um of the saint john's river so those were our boundaries that we had to fish you know i mean within florida waters anyway Mm -hmm. you know um 
So, uh, yeah, so we do get specific boundaries that we can fish within. So, and we have to have all our photo submissions in by a certain time on the app. Lines out have to be at two o'clock and we have a launch time that we all have to abide by. That's our first photo in the app is our launch photo with our measuring device, our uh, photo identifier, you know, us and with our uh, PFDs on so that we can all make sure, you know, we're all taking off at the same time, starting at the same time, finishing at the same time. But there's no, there's no, like, I hope we never get to this point with, with redfish or saltwater series. Like, it's not like the Hobie tournaments now. It's not like the Bassmaster tournaments now where it's, you have to launch from these specific points for this tournament. Like, I really hope it never gets that way with redfish. And it, I, I'm guessing it's not that way now. You just have your boundaries of you know about an hour hour and a half of coastline that you can fish correct for the um for the kayaks that's how it is we get a boundary of coastline usually and it's usually pretty easy restrictions you know like this river mouth to this river mouth you know it's not like they make it hard and just pick a you know a uh, longitude and latitude uh off a map and just say these are your boundaries and figure it out you know they they make it pretty easy for us and you know but the boaters they do launch from the same site they do have you know a shotgun launch usually in two waves um if it's a bigger fleet obviously they'll go out in separate waves but um they are weighing in at the same place and launching from the same place. However, they are not restricted to the same boundaries the kayaks are. They can go wherever they want as long as they return to weigh in on time. Kayaks are just slightly different with, you know, the boundaries, but we don't absolutely have to return to the weigh-in to win as long as our fish have been submitted into the app prior to the cutoff time. Now, I wonder why that is. I wonder why they're giving kayakers boundaries, but not the boaters boundaries. Um, I don't know. I don't know why they would do that. Do you Do you have any idea why they would give the boaters no boundaries, but kayakers boundaries? Well, I'm sure it's just probably to ensure that, you know, keep consistency, that we're all fishing the same waters. You know, if we're going to Jacksonville to run a Jacksonville stop, you know, we want to keep all, all the anglers inside Jacksonville waters. Now, if the boaters so choose to run outside of those waters, that's a risk that they're taking because, you know, they obviously have the, the horsepower to get there and, mm -hmm. and cover that kind of water. If they want to make a two-hour run to somewhere, that's kind of on them. But, you know, they're still launching out of, out of that same area. Is there a big difference in this? This may be one of the reasons. Is there a big difference between, you know, fishing the Atlantic side and fishing the Gulf side whenever it comes to redfish? Is there a big difference in the size of the fish and things like that? Absolutely. I can go um, just an hour difference east or west and the fish will go up a pound, you know, on, on average of that, say, you know, solid slot, 23, 24 inch fish. They're at least a pound heavier, you know, um, you know, not even an hour away. And, and with the possibility of, you know, finding you know, eight and a half pound redfish, you know, which are, which are pretty solid over here. And I'm guessing that's the golf side is the better side. Um, well, I've had some pretty six, pretty good success in Jacksonville. I'll say, um, I, obviously I came home with a first yeah. place win, 
but I didn't uh, catch a whole lot of bull redfish in Jacksonville. I did catch, I know they're there. Um, mm. I, I know without a doubt they're there, but I was fishing a lot of shallow water and I know that they sit a lot in those deeper passes and, you know, in the river channel and stuff. But over here in the Gulf, you can find those bull redfish just roaming the flats you know, picking up, you know, slot redfish, you can just find a bull redfish cruising like that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a little bit different, you know? Well, my thinking was it, on the Gulf side, you don't have as sharp as a drop off um, and, and deeper water, you're not getting to deeper water quicker. So there's more area for some of the smaller bait fish to be, which would mean you have some flats and everything like you're saying, they can eat up more inshore than compared to uh compared to the other side where they're going to be fighting stronger currents as well on the other side they might be a little bit leaner fish is is, is what would my thinking would be never fishing over there those uh those fish on the east coast they're they're some strong fish i mean they're fighter they're fighting fish you know um and just like you said you know they're fighting big current over there yeah. when i was fishing in jacksonville man i'm not used to no six seven foot tide swing man you know i mean two three foot of of you know a tide swing is about average over here but you start getting a six seven feet man that's a lot of moving water dude and Shit, um, two, you know, two or three foot <laughs> two or three foot is huge for us like if we get a foot and a half tide that's like man that was a big tide if we get a three foot tide people are losing their mind and taking pictures they're like all oh, the water's gone it happens every fall it happens every winter all the water will be gone whenever we get a big bull tide it'll be a full moon and my Facebook blows up with pictures like, where'd all the water go? I'm like, it happens every year, guys. It happens every single – and we're going to have a big bull tide where it comes back high in the, in the spring. Like, it happens every year. Um, but, yeah, two foot, that's a good tide for us. And you're like, eh, two, three foot's normal. Six, seven foot, I don't even know what I would do in that type of tide situation. Like, oh, man, that's a lot it's, of moving water. It's, it's a lot of moving water, and, you know, you you – got to fish those deeper pockets you know you learn how to fish something completely different you know I mean, you got to stay moving to find fishable water you know because the water's moving out of there so fast the feeding zone changes quickly because you know where they want to be feeding is not where they'll be feeding in an hour because there ain't going to be no water there you know <laughs> so be um, nothing so you got to right, yeah. So you just got to stay moving and, and um you know constantly finding where they're gonna be at. All right, so we talked a little bit about tournaments. We talked about the differences here. We're uh, we're going to get into the tournament setups, and one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is I just saw one of your videos, and you were like, "This is you know this is where I caught a tournament winning redfish." But before that, you were like, "Here's my eight rods that I take with me on tournament day." So we're gonna talk about what those eight rods are, what they have on them, what type of line you're using for different presentations. I'm going to jump in with what I'm using as well. But before we get to that, I got to ask you the same question I ask everyone that comes on this show. I need to know what your very first fishing kayak was. I need to know how you got into kayak fishing. And then I want to hear about your most memorable fishing memory if i ask you to talk about like just give me one memory of fishing which one comes to mind first or which one is the strongest but think about that for a sec but tell me about your very first fishing kayak 
so my first kayak was a vibe shear water it was a vibe shear water 125 pedal drive i uh, got it from a local dealer harry smith outdoors a good good people there and shout out um, to harry harry's been on the show before shout out to harry good good people love old harry smith got my vibe from harry smith and you know started going on my my kayak fishing journey um and i got it with the intent to start doing you know some freshwater bass fishing in it and possibly consider competing in freshwater bass tournaments and um well to keep this story short a buddy of mine invited me out inshore fishing with him one time and that was all it took man i went out there one time and i just started uh fishing inshore a whole lot more than i ever had and uh it just kind of took over and i just kept doing it kept doing it until i needed to know everything i could about it and that's you know as the story goes and progresses here i am today there you go so what about your most memorable fishing memory was it like fishing with grandpa on the farm or what what is a like a big memory that just comes to mind it's definitely fishing with grandpa it's definitely fishing with my granddad he lived uh on lake seminole all of my childhood growing up so i spent uh, a lot of weekends or weeks with him you know on the lake on the boat whether it be brim fishing with a cane pole or um you know a brim buster all the way to trolling the river for you know uh hybrids or um you know anything like that all the way to throwing topwater for largemouth man and that was where you know i think you know once once i i got my first topwater blow up i think that was when it was like all right this is the way that this hooked is, you this that, is, yeah that this was is, it this is it and i'm sure it was the same way whenever you started fishing inshore too once you got that first big red that was kind of pulling your kayak around and you were like oh yeah like this drag is screaming and then you get it close to the boat and you're like it's not done like it's it, it's close to the boat and here comes that second run um that probably really got you hooked and you were like man forget those green fish like i don't want to catch those things i want something that's <laughs> going to tow me around and fight yeah they uh they're built different that's for sure they're built different much bigger shoulders they're they're, they're ready to run yeah they, yeah they run different um you know bass are a little more acrobatic but you know your redfish they they want to run they want to dig they want to they want to wear you out they'll give you a fight yeah they don't want to large they don't, mouth will stretch you out yeah they don't want to they don't want to throw your hook really you're not going to get a bunch of big head shakes from a redfish um they're going to try to take you into the oyster reef and cut your line off like that's what they're going to do they're they're like uh the bull in the china cabinet they're just going as hard as they can as fast as they can away from you and into something else that's uh you nailed it that's exactly what they're trying to do they're going to wrap you up in your in your pedal drive they're going to wrap you up in your power pole they're going to go under your kayak they're going to try and take you anywhere they can they'll go you know take a run away from you pull some drag and then work their way right back, back towards you. you and run run right back at you and uh you know put some quick tension on that line and if it's a big fish you know or a nice upper slot fish especially on tournament day you, 
I got to be aware of those things, you know, like I, I know this is a bigger fish and I know what he's going to do as soon as he goes to digging away from me. I know he's about to turn around and I know he's about to turn right back at me. So I'll just, when he starts to dig away from me, I'll go ahead and give him that little bit of drag that he's going to need when he turns back at me. And I'm trying to pick up line really quick, you know, retrieve all that line that he's, you know, I'm, I'm losing that slack. I'm losing as he runs at me. But as soon as I get that line tight, he's running back up under me, headed the other direction. And if my drag's too tight, I'm going to pay a, a really costly price right there. So yep, that's, that's something that those big, yeah, those big fish are smart. So you got to be ready for them and you just got to know how to play them and, and what to do when, um, you know, they go to make those kinds of moves. All right. So let's get into the meat and potatoes. You, you said you got, did you say eight or nine rods? I can't remember. I think it was eight rods. You said you carry with you on tournament day. All right. So start Matt and the yak, eight rods in the back. There you go. All right. So start with one rod and what application you're using it for. And if I use that same application, I'm going to jump in with the same thing that I'm using, but go, cause I'm only carrying five at the most. So you tell me your eight and then I'm going to piggyback off of you and tell you what I'm using and, and line and why I'm using it and things like that. So most of what I um, take with me, there's a few that are with me all the time uh, consistently, no matter what, just because I throw those everywhere I go. Um, but I have, I, I got a lot of rods, man. I got, I got a whole lot of gear. Um, I got a lot of setups, you know, um, <clears throat> and they rotate out depending on where I'm going to be, what type of situations I'm facing. You know, when I go to a tournament, say out of town, I may take 10 or 12 rods with me. Only eight are going to be on the water, but you know, the other four might be situational based rods, you know, <clears throat> maybe some medium heavies thrown in there, or, you know, some shorter rods um, or even some really long rods. You know, I got a bull baby banshee that saw seven foot, 10 inches, you know, that if I got, big water to cover long you know long expanses and i'm just trying to cover a lot of clear water flats and i know i need to make really long casts um because the fish are really spooky a great way to do that's with a really long rod but it's not one i carry all the time but um as far as uh like some daily drivers i guess uh, i do like to keep a popping court with me about 90 percent of the time and uh i got that on a tfo tactical that's on the seven foot medium TFOs are usually run a little bit stiffer than the rods. I normally like to use. Yep. Um, I like a rod that's usually got a bit more of a deflection than what a TFO has. And the TFO is a little bit stiffer, but with the popping cork, I'm really not, I'm really not needing a whole lot of deflection in that rod. And as a matter of fact, I want a lot of quick response from that rod because the cork is already working against me. So if I got to pull the cork up and then fight the deflection in the rod and then get hook set, I'm fighting too much. There, there's too much give there. But if I got a, you know, a rod that, you know, has a fast action tip like that, you know, tactical does, um, that TFO tactical does, and it's seven foot. So I don't have to go way up to get hook set either i can make a quick action right here you know like quick right all in, all in the elbow and i got immediate hook set with that you know and all you my guys that are just listening run. he just did a judy chop whenever judy, he did the judy up, chop. it was a judy chop <laughs> quick up really quick okay yeah. sorry i didn't mean to interrupt I you i just I, I love the judy chop <laughs> 
yeah, I can't talk about a hook set without giving one, you know yeah. what I mean? There you um, go. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's uh that's kind of what it is. I think the shorter rod helps right there, especially on a popping cork. But I run that with a uh with 15 pound uh Daiwa eight grand J braid. That is the line I run on every single one of my setups. Again, um, just so we can clear it off the bat, I'm not sponsored or you know paid by any type of tackle or affiliate or any. I mean, I work for Salt Strong, but I'm a fishing coach, and we as a policy don't accept sponsorships or paid advertisements from people because you know we we believe in using in what works for us and what has proven to be effective for us. You know, mm. so. Um, in times past, I have never had an issue with Jay Braid giving me a problem. So that is what I run on all my setups. Uh, I like Island Blue just because it's easy for me to see. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, but you know, other than that, I usually run 10 pound on just about everything. Everything I'm going to name other than this popping cork setup and one other will be 10 pound Island Blue Daiwa 8 grand Jay Braid. Now, is that just because of the clarity of the water while you're using the the smaller braid, or that's just like all all that you feel you need? That's all I feel I need. Um, I really don't beef it now. I don't I don't beef up anything bigger than that with artificial um, because I feel like I can play a fish with everything I need in that ten to fifteen pound line range. And this, and when I'm at fifteen pound line, that's when I'm I'm that's when I'm, you know, fishing my heavier stuff and I'm prepared to horse the fish. Mm -hmm. And and this is where it's going to get a little different between some of the Texas stuff and the Florida stuff. And I'll, I'll hit on it in a second because I, I have a few other questions about Matt about this popping court because I'm going to tell you about mine too. But remember, they're doing catch photo and release and we're keeping fish. Um, that's going to play a part in... in just a second once i once i talk about mine so guys just keep that in mind um that we're, we're going to talk about a little more but okay so 15 pound what size reel are you running and what size leader are you running on that popping court yeah so that's good question those those two things um again on the leader i beef that up a little bit too normally i run 20 pound leader for most everything but on that popping court, I'll usually run something a little bit beefier, probably 30 pound leader. But uh, all of the leader I use for 95% of my setups is 20 pound Andy monofilament. Um, that's just plain old 20 pound Andy mono. It's nothing special. Now, if I'm in super gin clear water, I'll use fluoro. But the, mo the majority of what I fish around, man, it's oyster bars. And I know that mono does better in abrasion tests than fluorocarbon. And, you know, if you got a, you know, redfish that's, you know, got a tough mouth, you know, he can, he can fray that leader and that 20 pound leader. You know, I like to use 20 pound leader because it's smaller diameter. It's harder for the fish to see, but it's plenty strong enough to land these fish if you play them right. And, you know, you just kind of keep it right. So, um, other than say the pop and cork setup and the one other I'm going to mention next, uh, it's going to be 20 pound Andy mono, but for the pop and cork, I usually like to bump it up to, to, you know, something a little bit heavier than the 20. Usually I'll just go to 30. Now what size reel are you using? 3000 BG MQ. What is, okay. Dial what does the MQ, MQ mean? 
Because I, I know the That's BG. The, What's the MQ? Is that the magnesium? Is that super light or what is the M? Well, no, MQ wouldn't be magnesium, dummy. It'd be monocoque. MG. That stands for their monocoque frame. I actually have okay. um, one of them right here. So that's the box right there. Uh, this is actually the 2500 uh, uh, right here. But the uh, 3000 is a little bit different. It's a little bit bigger. It has a um, slightly faster uh, pickup ratio on, on the gear. So it does, you know, kind of retrieve line a little bit quicker. The 2500 uh, is a five, seven to one, and it picks up 31 and a half inches per turn. So, um, you know, and one of the things I, I run Daiwa setups on, on pretty much all my rods, except for, um, you know, uh, a couple, I have a AL, 13 uh 13 fishing al13 it's an all aluminum body reel um it's uh been proven really well for me i mean it's it's a tough tough reel um it's gotten to be one of my daily drivers that i like to throw like a ned rig with but um it's it's a really nice rod that's got a light deflection to it but um that's on a cashing element inshore but you know i'm kind of kind of segue in there a little bit yeah but yeah, yeah. yeah right. I, the, the, the popping the popping court was a bg mq 3000 that's what i like to run on there 15 pound test what's your favorite popping yes, 15 court pound. man i like playing with a lot of different ones um i'm gonna be honest with you i've used four horsemen a lot mm. i really like their product you know but um I've played with uh, some others, BRM corks. They've, um, you know, sent me some to test out and they're pretty cool, man. You know, they got a whole different sound to them and, you know, different wire thing going on, you know, and uh, I know, um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different styles out there, man. I can't say I really have a favorite, but I think the one that I always find myself going back to is the four horsemen. I think it's just because of the sound that it makes. Um, that's, it's just got that unique sound, man. You know, it, a lot of others have a lot of really cool features, but that sound to that four horsemen, it's just really unique. They're rarely dur durable as well. So I use the four horsemen oh, yeah. popping cork. Yeah. I use the four horsemen popping cork. I use the three inch. Um, that's my favorite one. I really like the sound. It's got a good chug, but it also has a good click. If you've used popping corks before, like you, you know, and if you take someone out who's never used one before and they throw it, literally they'll be like, that is loud. You can hear me popping my popping cork on my GoPro, and I just casted that thing like 30 yards away, and you can hear the cluck, 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 cluck. You can hear it. But I also use the Four Horsemen. I'm going to go backwards from the way that you did it. I use the Four Horsemen. I use the 30-pound um Floral leader is what I use on mine because I'm not fishing around oyster a whole, whole lot. If I am fishing around more oyster, I will use the mono in 30 or 40 pound. Now, for line, almost all of my stuff has 30 pound uh, Berkeley X9 on it. And the reason all of my stuff has 30 pound X9 on it, and we'll talk about it a little later, is I have found that 30 pound does not dig into my bait casters as much. And I buy it in 3,000 yard spools. So I'm not buying anything extra to put on my popping cork rod. Like it's getting whatever's going on all the rest of my rods. Now, the rod itself, 
for, I mean, you guys listen, you know, um, I build rods, so I have a jalapeno popper. There is not a lot of rod manufacturers that are building specific rods for popping corks. They're just, they're just not doing it because most people, what they do is they usually find their heaviest rod that they usually don't use. And they use that for a popping cork rod because they think it doesn't matter. But Matt hit on everything, all the reasons why you should have a specific popping cork rod. When he, he was talking about the deflection of the rod, whenever you're popping it, you use a lot of energy throwing a popping cork rod. It's a lot of motion to pop that rod. So you want to try to reduce that down to where really you're just flicking your wrist. It's just a barely a wrist flick for you to pop that. And if you're using a fast or sometimes an extra fast, I don't like using extra fast rods with redfish because when they get so close to the boat, they are going under the boat and an extra fast is more prone to snap whenever it, a fish goes under the boat. So I'm using a fast also. I'm using a seven foot three jalapeno popper. I have the microwave guides on there because you can chunk that sucker. Like I want to be able to throw that popping cork as far as I can into the wind with the wind behind me because I'm using that to cover a heck of a lot of water. Now, I'm with you, too. Like, we could fish together with popping corks because I'm using a 3000 series reel. I'm using the Pin Clash 2 high speed. And the reason I'm using the high speed is, like you said, I want to get as much line back as I can whenever I hook that fish because nine times out of ten, whenever you're throwing the popping cork, right after you pop it or as soon as it hits the water is when that fish is going to take off. And you have to reel up slack quickly to set that hook because you already have one thing working against you with that fish. As soon as he pulls that cork underwater, he's going to feel resistance from the cork. So he's more prone to let go of that if he doesn't have it in his mouth well. You have got to set the hook as fast as you can. In order to do that, you have to reel up your slack as fast as you can. And with the pin clash two high speed, I'm getting 41 inches of line back per turn. So in two turns, I'm getting 82 inches of line back. Like I'm getting almost seven foot of line back very, very quickly. And I'm getting a good hook set on that fish. Now I'll give you a little bit more juice guys. This is what I found, and Matt, you can you can talk. I, t- I didn't want to ask about baits and all that because I don't know how much you want to share about baits since you've been killing it over there in Florida, and we do have a lot of listeners in Florida. But a size 2 Berkeley 8-ounce jig head is what I use with my popping corks with a Berkeley gulp, and every single time I get a good hook set in the corner of the mouth. They don't swallow it down their gullet because it's a smaller hook. It's in, the, it's in the side of their mouth where I want it to be every single time. Now, with bigger hooks, you know, a size three quarter ounce or something like that, I've noticed that I'm not getting as good of a hook set. But with these smaller eighth ounce Berkeley Fusion 19 jig heads 
with a size two hook in them, it is perfect right in the edge of their mouth. Now, Matt, do you what, what do you throw on the end of your court? Do you mind sharing with us what you got there? Yeah, so I normally, um, with my cork, I like to keep it usually either a shrimp profile or a small paddle tail. Um, usually what I'm trying to mimic with that cork is some kind of bait getting thrashed. And usually when it's bait getting thrashed like that, it's usually not, you know, big bait. You know, we, we see big bait getting crashed on the top of the surface, not under it, you know. So when we're kind of, or at least this is how I play it out in my mind, you know. I mean, when I'm throwing a popping cork, I'm thinking about a school of small fry bait kind of getting you know, tussled up near the surface of the water. So I like to keep the profile small so that whenever they, you know, a fish do come to check it out, um, it's an easy, it's an easy profile for them to find and, you know, kind of key in on. And it's not too much for them to commit to. If they come over and see something really big, you know, they may just kind of shy away from it, especially if you're still... If you're exactly, especially if you're still mid pop trying to give this thing a lot more action and a lot more commotion, you know, you could potentially end up scaring the fish off more than you would attract them if you got a big profile behind a big sound, you know, so uh, you can always go up, but I like to start small with, with my pop and cork, man. And usually if that doesn't work and I need to go with a bigger profile, I'm not going to be using the pop and cork anyway. I'm going to be using something a whole lot more angry. There you go. All right. So, what's something a whole lot more angry? Let's let's hear about a rig for something angrier. Yeah. So, I'll probably throw uh, a wake bait, man. I'm a huge fan of a wake bait. Um, they crush it in shore for me. I just, uh, um, you know, we just put out a video uh, on Salt Strong's YouTube talking about the um, the bait that keeps winning in shore fishing tournaments, and uh, that's a that's that's a wake bait um it's been super successful for me and i just talk about why a little bit there um and that's you know it's essentially just shallow water crankbait you know it runs in a foot of water or less and these redfish love them um you know and you can experiment with all different kinds but you know they they proven to be successful with for for me anyway and uh i've been throwing that with a tfo professional not the tactical tactical is what i was using my popping cork for the tfo pro seven six with uh 15 pound Daiwa j braid eight grand and uh do run a 30 pound monofilament leader on that as well that's also with a Daiwa BGMQ 3000. And uh, I do kind of want to touch on like, you know, the size of that reel in comparison to the rod. Same thing kind of with that tactical, um, you know, for the popping cork. The weight on the front end of that popping cork as well as uh, this weight bait, you know, those are those are heavy presentations on the front end of that rod. So those BGMQs, they're lightweight for how powerful they are but they also got a little bit of heft to them too so they balance out those rods really really well because if you're going to be shucking and chucking rods all day and artificials like we do in tournaments you can't be using a really heavy setup you need to be using something that you can comfortably throw all day so that's another reason i like those bgmqs and um you know like i said that is also what i have on that wake bait rod that's uh that seven six professional from tfo um and again with that 
with that uh, BGMQ, I can just pick up line really, really fast with that thing. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, dunked those rods. I've put them through some stuff, man. And um, they've, they've continued to be consistent for me. Now, what action is that? Is that TFO? It's a medium. It's a medium fast action. It's a medium power and a fast action seven foot six model. All right. So this now is I will I will say this. That rod, that rod's pretty stiff. I'm just mm. gonna be honest. That rod is pretty stiff. If you try and fight a good redfish, like um, like in the video, I think you just saw recently of that winning redfish from Jacksonville. If you go look at the fight of me um trying to fight that fish, you'll see I never pull the rod up to you know past say 10 o'clock, 10 30. I never hit 11. I never hit 12 because I know if I go up that high with that kind of angle, that 90 degree angle, anything above say a 45 on that fish, I know I am significantly increasing the chances of pulling the hooks on that fish because there's no deflection in that rod down the blank. The deflection is up near the tip and there's not much at all. But the reason I use that rod, even though there's not much deflection down the blank, is because when these redfish go to hit those baits, they often are semi non-committal to eat. They're hitting them. So I want a rod that's not going to have a lot of deflection and bend down. I want that rod to allow for immediate hook set as soon as they hit that bait. So that's why if you're watching me ever fish with that rod and I'm throwing a wake bait, you'll see when I get a hit, the rod tip goes almost straight down flat. It's because there's that much force behind number one, the fish and that much power behind the rod. So I, the only thing that has any give there is my wrist, you know? So when that fish hits, I kind of give them the tip of the rod to make sure that I don't pull the lure from them. But once I make sure I got that hook set, then it's really in kind of playing that fish correctly. But I do need that, that stiff rod for immediate hook set when they hit it. Now, how big of a profile wake bait are you throwing? Are you throwing large, like hunchbacks where they're three inches Two and a half long? inch. They say so. You're throwing the the larger two and a half inch baits. Okay, which that makes a lot of sense why you would want the mod fast or even the fast action on that rod. And this is why I wanted to have you on because I figured we would have some of the same things that we're throwing, but there may be some different trains of thought. So I wanted the listeners to be able to hear. You know, you may hear one person say that they're using this for their bait and another person saying they're using this for a different bait but <clears throat> i'm throwing a wake bait as well and i have a wake bait rod that kind of doubles as my chatter bait rod and i'm the opposite so i'm throwing much smaller baits so i'm throwing like inch and a half maybe inch weight baits i'm throwing little wake baits and whenever they hit those they are slamming it down to their crushers like I'm pulling it out from I mean it is it is deep down in there because they're not they're not mad enough at that to just come and kind of tail slap it or knock it around like they are like I'm going to kill this little thing that is annoying me and they they swallow that sucker. That being said, whenever I tend to fish too fast sometimes. So I tend to burn 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 
And when you're throwing these wake baits, you've got to fish a little bit slower to get a good action because if you if you fish them too fast, they're going to come all the way up to the surface and on you're not going to get they yeah, they'll come on their side. So I have to force myself to throw a a 66 um reel because I want to throw a a slower gear ratio and I'm throwing mine on a 7 foot medium because I actually I mean I'm sorry, a 7 foot medium moderate because I want that deflection so it slows me down whenever I'm working that bait because I want that bait to slowly be going back and forth back and forth under the water where I'm not as concerned about the hook set because when they hit that little one they're slant like the hook is is already set before I even set it so my setup's a little bit different and I also use that for my chatter baits because I want to fish that chatterbait slower because if I'm going to fish fast, I'm going to throw just a regular soft plastic out there and we'll get to that in a second. But I've got to slow down my gear ratio on my reel. I have to slow down the action of my rod because if not, I'll have that weight bait sideways and it's not going to do me any good at all. But I'm glad you said weight bait because I don't think enough people are using weight baits and the red fish absolutely hate wake baits if you can find some marsh drains with the tide moving to throw a wake bait you are going to get crushed by something like something is going to uh, going to tear it up and again i'm throwing 30 pound braid because we don't need to use leaders because we're fishing in chocolate milk half the time but that's what i'm throwing with my wake bait slash chatter bait rod so what you got next what what, what else is in the so we got two of the Matt plus eight. Give me, give me six more here. Yeah. So those are, those are the two heaviest setups I, I run truthfully. Um, but, uh, another one that, that I carry with me is, uh, a custom rod. It's our custom, uh, salt strong rod called the slot machine. It's a seven, six rod. It's, um, uh, actually custom built by the people at mud hole. Um, so it's, I, I can assure you it's, it's a quality rod, but, um, it's actually what I've been using for, um, a lot of my all purpose stuff. It works for my lightweight stuff. It works for my heavy stuff. Um, it does have a, a fast action tip on it, but if I, you know, get into the deflection, you know, it's, it's got the sturdiness I need, but it can still, um, take a bit of of a bow in it you know so that i can you know play a fish like i want to around my kayak sometimes you know that's one thing that's super important about you know the rods that i choose i need to be able to play a fish around the boat no matter what it is and if you know they want to shoot in front of me and make a dig i need to be able to get the rod around the front of the boat you know and and kind of you know take care of that fish successfully but if i have um you know you know, clear water conditions and I need to make really long casts. I need a rod that's not, you know, a a wet noodle. So, um, but the rod, our slot machine, I, uh, that's a great all purpose rod for absolutely anything you want to throw it with hard bait, soft bait or anything. Um, just because it's just, it's just quality, but, um, 
I, I would love to be able to tell you some more about it, but I could go like really deep into that. But we do have videos on the Salt Strong YouTube all about the rod. My head of tackle, my main man, Justin Ritchie, does a great job explaining it. And I don't want to like try and uh, dull it down because um, I, I can guarantee I won't do it justice. But I do have that paired up with a, uh, a ballistic MQ from Daiwa. And uh, that rod, as I said, it's it's um, a spectacular rod, but it's super lightweight. It's a lot lighter than most other rods you're going to find comparable to it. Um, it's 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 a lot lighter than, you know, like I say, than most other rods. And that's why I have the ballistic MQ on it. I have the 2500 and um, that's because lightweight compact reel for a really lightweight rod that can handle anything that I put put on the other end of it. You know, it's just really well balanced. What do you throw on it the most? Uh, a paddle tail, truthfully. But mm -hmm. this, um, you know, th this this past uh, tournament, I used it for a few different things. I used it for a spoon. I used it for uh, a jerk shad. I used it for a paddle tail, both a three and a half inch and a five inch. So, um, and it worked for all of those, you know, jerk shad was four inch, you know, it worked for all of those on um, a weedless hook option, whether that be one eighth ounce or a three sixteenth. Yeah. So for my, my paddle tails, my kind of all everything um, rod that I'm throwing out there, I'm throwing out a seven foot medium with a fast tip. Um, I, and this goes back, I, I said I was going to talk about it, but I didn't talk about it when we were talking about the popping course. But some of the difference between a catch photo release tournament and a live weigh-in tournament is I want to get that fish in fast. I, I want to horse him in. I want to get him in. That way I can get him into the live well as quickly as possible. And then he has time to chill out. We're in a catch photo release. You can play that fish a little bit more. You can use a lighter line. You can use a lighter setup and play that fish a little bit more because you're getting him there. You actually want him to be a little bit more tired. That way you can get a good picture of him. I mean, and you have a little bit more time to, you know, revive him. You And if he slithers out of your hand while you're trying to revive him off the side of the kayak, then so be it. But if I'm in a live weight tournament, I don't want to have to take that fish out of the live well and put him back in the water. Like, I don't want to have to put that fish back in the water. I want to keep it in my possession. I want to put him in the live well and let him recuperate there with all that oxygenated water. I don't want him to be super tired once I get him into the boat and that affords some of the guys that are doing the pitchers you can play them a little bit more you can use a lighter rod you can use a lighter weight on your on your line where I'm trying to use nothing less than a medium because I want to get them in fast um, I'm using 30 pound braid on everything like I said on my soft plastics I'm using a medium fast and I'm also using a higher gear ratio. I'm using like a 10 to 1 because if I make a good cast on fish that I see, or well, I'm sorry, if I make a bad cast on fish that I can see hitting bait and I'm throwing a soft plastic at them, I want that bait to get back to me as quickly as possible. Like, woo, bad cast. Ooh, look, do, 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 do. Let me get that sucker in because it really could be a matter of two seconds on 
being able to cast and still see where that fish is compared to it takes a little bit longer to get in and then you're like dang it where did that fish go and it is gone like you you can't see it anymore so i want to have more cast in my day so i'm using a high speed uh, abu garcia alf 10 to 1 to get that sucker back quickly but again if you're going to use those high speeds and you have a tendency to get too excited like myself you have to slow yourself down especially when you see fish that's why whenever i'm throwing something that needs to be slow i make sure i have the slowest like a five to four or a six zero or a six six that it has to be slow no matter how fast i turn it it's still going to be slow but on my soft plastics which i'm throwing soft plastics 80 you know 75 80 percent of the time i want to be able to throw it out there get that sucker back to me quickly if I miss a fish or get that sucker back into me as quickly as possible. That way I can get that fish in the live well quick, 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 quick. And again, that's a seven foot medium fast is what I'm throwing for all of my soft plastics. So what else you got on the boat, man? We've got your soft plastics. We got your wake bait. We got your popping cork. What else you got? Well, actually, <clears throat> so that's just one of my soft plastic rods. So because I keep eight rods, that's multi-purpose. It's not that every rod has a specific one only use. You know, I have a couple rods that have a couple different uses, like the one I was just talking about, the slot machine. I can get a lot of great distance on that rod because it's, you know, got a little bit deflection or the deflection is a little bit higher in the blank. Yeah. It's a seven, six and um, you know, the load up on it's a little bit higher. I can get a good whip cast on it, you know, and it'll sling whatever I'm throwing way out there. But I have some other options, you know, like a seven, six bolt bay bolt where the deflection's a little bit lower and the load up is a little bit slower. So I can, you know, kind of use that rod a little bit differently like um it works a little bit better in close quarters you know because um if i uh you know need to whip up under something it's a whole lot easier to do with a rod that has a little bit more moderate action mm -hmm. even though it's a fast action rod the deflection happens a little bit lower in the blank so it's, it's got a, a more blank. moderate action Correct. So, I mean, it's, it's, or the components sit a little bit different on the rod. So, you know, where those components sit on the rod, even though the rod blank may be the same length, where the components sit play a huge factor in the way the rod performs as well. So, you know, the, all those things play a factor in it. And I like the bull bay bolt, you know, because with that lower deflection, something I want to talk about is, you know, I mentioned, you know, those rods, they're, the three rods I've already mentioned, those are my stiffest on my kayak. Um, those are uh, probably the heaviest rods that I carry, even those those may not be necessarily, um, you know, medium heavy per se, you know, or anything over medium, but they're just a more uh, a heavier blank, you know. But um, with that in mind, I do like to keep the rods that I use with a more moderate action. And that's because in the kayak, when we sit lower to the water, when you have a rod with a more moderate deflection on there and you go for hook set, 
you have more control of that fish when your rod is low and close rather than high and far away trying to fight. So if your rod is actually turned low like this, you're better off than if you're up like this with a rod that doesn't really have a whole lot of bend to it. And you're trying to control that fish with your rod, you know, you're working if, against if you your own rod. Bingo, bingo. You really are. You can't, you know, really get a good pressure point on that, on that fish to fight it and control it. And, you know, sometimes, um, me in the kayak, if I get a bite from a fish close to me and I'm using a rod that doesn't have a good deflection on it, I may have to get that hook set and then stand up to fight that fish so that the, I don't lose the fish in the fight because he's too green for that strong of a rod that close to me if that makes sense you know that mm -hmm. that rod's a little too strong for that fish because he's still really green and he's got a lot of fight in him since he's so close to me so what i'll have to do is if it's one of those you know stronger rods i'll have to stand up to be able to fight that fish um to make sure i, I land them successfully yeah and guys we just geeked out on you really bad when we're talking about the the moderate action or fast or medium. So for, for those of you that are new to fishing or new to kayak fishing, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this really simple and then you can go back and rewind about ten minutes and then come back and listen to this and it's gonna make it's gonna make a whole lot of sense to you. So when we're talking about the action of a rod, we're talking about where the rod bends. So a fast action rod is going to usually bend like within the first fourth from the tip down. The first fourth of the rod is going to start bending right there. That's where the rod wants to bend. That's where it has the least amount of graphite and everything. So it bends like that. Now, whenever you get to the moderate fast, because I'm just going to go, you know, fast, mod fast moderate when you get to the mod fast it bends a little bit lower down it's not to halfway but you know it, it's a little bit less that one third bit, mark yeah it's about a, a third is where the rod wants to bend so if you grab the tip and you pull it down you're really going to see the arc the peak of that arc is going to be in the third now with a moderate it's going to bend about halfway through the rod and depending on different applications depends on what is going to be best for you to use that um, with that presentation. Now, when we're talking about medium, medium, heavy, light, that is the actual power of the rod. So that's where you hear about backbone and things like that. That's, that's how heavy of an action the rod is. So a medium heavy is going to be a lot stiffer than a medium, which is going to be a lot stiffer than a medium light and so on and so forth. And it's going to have different weight to it as well. So now that you know that, go back and rewind like 10 minutes if you're a newer fisherman. And then what we were just talking about will make a lot more sense because we really nerded out on mod fast with this and, you know, throwing a wake bait and a smaller wake bait. And we want to bend and we don't want to bend and standing up and everything like that. So go back and listen to that and imagine it in your head now. And it's going to make a ton more sense to some of you guys that are newer anglers. Um, because that was something like for a long time before I really started to get into rods and I started to do rod building, I didn't take the time to learn 
like what it even meant. Like I just went to Academy and got what was on sale that was seven foot and it looked good. And I just went out and fished with that. But now that I'm doing more tournaments, I'm way more serious and I'm building rods. You know, I'm a rod builder. Like I understand it a lot more and it makes a heck of a lot more sense. But that was one thing that I didn't, I didn't understand when I first started fishing at all, the differences in powers and, where it bends and everything else and why it even mattered. It was just what was on sale from 79 to 59. That's what I went and bought. Yeah, no, I, I can totally uh, relate to that. You know, I think that's what we all did for a long time until once we maybe finally all um, maybe were able to hold a, um, a setup that was maybe better balanced out. And, you know, we realized, oh, wow, this this is what it really should feel like here. You know, when when you get a setup that's maybe a little bit higher end and, you know, you're retrieving a paddle tail through some seagrass, you can feel everything you're touching in there. And you're like, oh, my God. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what you're feeling. You can feel the bottom structure. You can feel anything. And if you, you can feel the difference between a pinfish and a trout. You know, so if pinfish is your paddle tail, say, you, yeah. you know, that, I mean, you can tell all the differences there. So, but that's the difference between, you know, a $75 combo and, you know, $175 rod. A little, you know, little more expensive it, setup. Exactly. You know, yeah. so, I mean, but I'm not saying that one's right or one's wrong, but you do get, you know, the perks from, you know, the higher end tools. All right, so what what else you throwing out there, man? What else you got in that in that pack of eight? So um, pretty much what everything else I throw is pretty applicable. Like I do have a couple bull bay bolts because I like those and the way they perform. I run them the exact same way. I run uh, with a BGMQ, but uh, ten pound braid, ten pound mono. But one of them's a twenty five hundred uh xh and the other is a 3000 compact you know one for the higher gear ratio and uh the other for you know the quicker pickup speed you know what i mean so or it they they both have their kind of use you know um and i do have a Daiwa back bay that's a seven two foot model that's really really light um i like using it for um really any type of whippy applications, you know, or if I'm trying to hit a very specific target and it's close by, or in, if I'm in close quarter creeks, it, like in the winter time, I really like that because I'm usually fishing a little bit deeper and I'm, you know, often going to be fishing with a little bit of a jigging motion in those deeper pockets. So I can use something that's got, you know, way more moderate action like that Daiwa back bay, you know? Um, so but that's 10 pound braid, 10 pound mono. And I use that with, you know, lightweight setups, you know, um, you could even use it with a Ned rig or something like that. Just because I was those about are to really ask light, what you're but... using with your Ned rig. Cause you mentioned the Ned rig yeah. earlier and I know you're throwing a Ned rig for, for redfish because a Ned rig will catch anything. It'll catch anything that swims. A Ned grid is going to catch, but you also need Ned... a, a lighter application to throw that Ned rig. Yeah, you do. I actually have two different rods for a Ned rig. One is a, a short rod. One that I like to use is the, the cash in element in short. It's a medium and I've been using it with, uh, the 13 fishing AL 13. That's their all aluminum reel, um, all aluminum body reel. And it's, it's a little bit heavier, 
and that rod is really light, which I know seems like a crazy pairing. But if I'm going to be fishing a Ned rig with a light, or excuse me, with a small profile bait, like that three inch paddle tail, um, actually I have one right here in front of me. Imagine that. Just got done using it in a video I was talking about. So there you go. That's what I'll throw on my Ned rig a lot. It's just a three and a half inch paddle tail with, you know, a uh, Z-Man Pro Shrooms jig head. And with that cash-in element uh, inshore with that AL-13 on the back, because that reel's a little bit heavier, it actually helps me when I'm going to work that lure in that, you know, middle to lower third of the water column with that Ned rig, because the weight of the reel is actually helping me just do that jigging it's motion. like a pendulum. Because- Exactly. The, yeah. the, the weight of the rod and reels just doing all the work for me. And then one time when I'm doing that jig in motion, just real light, I'll feel pressure. And I know when I feel just the slightest pressure, that's my hit. And I just give it the headache it was looking for. Now, are you throwing all spinning gear or, or yes. is that because I, I wasn't familiar with the, uh, the concept 13 um, to know whether that was spinning or casting. Now, I am throwing for my smaller stuff, like you're talking about the Ned Rig. I don't know if you know what Bugs Lures are, but I'll throw some Bugs Lures with them. And I will also, (laughs) I've been throwing more and more and more and more. I've been throwing smaller spoons, smaller weedless spoons. And it's, it's difficult to throw those with a bait caster like it's it's difficult to throw a smaller application for a bait caster now i do not take this setup every time that i go but if i think there's opportunities for sight casting like true sight casting not looking at fish busting bait on the shoreline i'm talking about i'm standing up on my kayak i may be standing up on the seat i am patrolling and stalking fish usually when that happens the fish are just a little bit spookier you want a smaller bait presentation to throw with them. And another, the the spoon and the little small Savage Gear shrimp is a, a, also a good presentation for that. That's, that's another thing that I've really been throwing. But this is where I take a 6 foot 10 medium light with a 200 series of Boo Garcia. And I have 12 pound fluoro on there. This is when the fish are super spooky. Like, they a bait hits the water, and they're scurrying off. So this is my, my super spooky kit. But like you were saying, with that pendulum motion sometimes, like, I want to make that bait just barely jump, and I just barely want it to wiggle. So I actually have my reel seat. I mean, of course, because I build the rods. But I have a beefier reel seat on this smaller rod, so it looks kind of odd. But that's because I want to barely be able to shake my hand and have that thing start twitching. Like, I want that Savage Gear, you know, shrimp to just barely be twitching through in front of that fish because I don't want it to move too fast because they will spook. So I have a bigger handle on there so I can just barely shake my hand. I'm literally, like, you ever shake up a drink and you just barely start shaking your hand to get all that stuff out of there? Some people don't. Some people just go crazy and shake it back and forth. But I could barely shake it. And I'll barely start shaking it, and that shrimp will just barely start jumping, and I can usually get a bite. But that's like my very, very light setup is a medium light with 
15-pound fluoro or 12-pound fluoro on there. I'm throwing a really small bait. And if I'm throwing that on tournament day, that means we ain't caught crap all morning and the sun is up and I'm just trying to get some fish in the box, but I really don't want to have to fish that. Now, if I'm fun fishing, though, that's probably the first one that I pick up because I want to go sight casting and see the fish take the bait. But that is not the most effective way to fish for larger redfish in any tournament. So that's what I'm using for my my lighter setup. Yeah, I'd have to agree. That's that's definitely not the way you want to try and target a redfish tournament is uh, by sight casting. No, it's fun. I mean, that's the funnest way to go catch redfish. But it's can, yeah, oh yeah, it can be, a, and it's a great way to upgrade. But when you're going to put two fish in the in the box or you know on the board, that's a stressful first two fish if you're trying to do it from sight casting. Yeah, I'm usually throwing the the wake bait or the soft plastic first thing in the morning. Now, are you throwing a top water, and do you have a top water rod set up? Because I've I, I have one with me all the time. I need to do better about throwing the top water. I tell myself that the wake bait is my top water. It's not a true top water, but the wake bait is my top water, and that's what I tell myself. And I probably should be throwing a top water more. Do you have a top water set up on your boat on tournament day? Uh, absolutely. So, um, I've used the slot machine, our custom rod at Salt Strong. I've definitely used that for my topwater rod. If I can cover my paddle tails on the other setups that I already talked about. And I'm not trying to make those really long distance casts. That's really what I like to use that, that slot machine for when I'm using it with paddle tails. If I'm trying to cover some really long casts. But if I'm using it for, um, you know, if I can cover those those soft plastics on other rods for, you know, which have, you know, comparable applications, then I'll use the slot machine for a topwater rod because um, it does have enough action in that tip to get a really nice twitch on the bait, but um, still be able to sling it an absolute mile. Yeah, and that's the thing with topwaters. It's, it's kind of like the popping cork. You want to be able to get that walk the dog motion or you want to be able to get a good pop without using too much energy. So you want a fast action rod. If you're comfortable throwing an extra fast, like some people will throw an extra fast for their top waters just because they want to just barely be able to pop that and have have the rod do the work to get that good walk the dog action. <laughs> Man, I need to throw a topwater more. I actually bought me a little bit stiffer, little bit, you know, more. It's a little bit more fast than the normal fast actions that I use for a blank. And I'm sitting there staring at it right now. I need to build it. I didn't build it for this weekend, but that just goes to show how much I don't think I'm going to throw a topwater too, too much. But I should, I should throw a topwater more often, man. I should definitely throw a topwater more. Well, I'll say this one rod that I do like for like lightweight topwaters, bladed baits like uh, spinners or like, um, you know, underspins, or even you slightly mentioned a spoon, you know, mm -hmm. um, I haven't caught a lot of fish on a spoon in my life, but I can tell you this, if I hadn't thrown a spoon this past Saturday, I probably wouldn't have that second blue one right there next to me because that spoon was clutch 
when I was fishing the Crystal River series, uh, the stop there. And um, one of my favorite rods for throwing, you know, the spinner baits, bladed baits, or, you know, I've thrown my Ned rig on these too, especially when I'm talking about shallow water Ned rigging. And I'm not talking about working a deeper part of the water column where I'm jigging that Ned rig. If I'm trying to work a shallow water Ned rig, another rod I really like for that, and these bladed baits as well, is a Fitzgerald Aqua Dream. I like that seven foot two model in the medium uh, power. Um, you know, it's a fast action rod. It's got those microwave guides, but uh, for throwing the, um, you know, say a spoon that uh, it'll, it'll fly those spoons. And one thing, you know, that we often have with spoons is, you know, they can be a little unpredictable, especially in some wind, you know, you never know where they're going to go. If they catch like a wind gust, it'll fly one direction. Turn sideways but, and they go exactly, yeah. exactly. And it, yeah, it'll like Seagulls a flying saucer. It'll like, down. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be like a flying saucer and go up and left and, you know, like just take a whole new trajectory. But with those aqua dream rods from Fitzgerald, you know they got this microwave guide so they kind of help keep you know that line straight as it's going through those reduction guides and then going up towards the tip of the rod so that also helps keep that that spoon going in a straight trajectory towards the direction you intended it to go to um and you know the load up on those is just really great but i do like using that seven foot two model um again the you don't um with those, the deflection is a little bit lower. They're more of a moderate action, even though they say, you know, they're a fast action, but it's just a little bit, it's a more moderate fast, mm. but, um, but they're great for that spoon when you want to, you know, slowly bump it across the bottom and be able to feel everything you're touching, you know, and just kind of hop it a little bit and let it flutter, you know. And then when you go to feeling that just that slight touch of a fish, you know, sometimes they'll hit it from behind and run with it. Um, you know, you can, you can feel all of that with those rods. That's, um, definitely another one of my favorites. I'm going to go into rod building mode real quick guys and, and just drop, drop some stuff on you here. So whenever he's talking about the microwave guides, um, some people see him and they're like, ah, oh, this is a gimmick. This doesn't work. If you see him on a bait caster, I have them on my bait casters, but I have them on there cause they look cool. I'll, I mean, I'll be straight up with you on my bait casters. They're on there because they look cool. On a spinning reel, though, on a spinning rod with those microwaves, they do make a difference. I can build a rod on the same blank, the same spacing, everything, and put microwaves on one and normal guides on another, and the microwaves will outcast the normal guides. It's just I, I've done it on the same exact blanks, and it will outcast because you're getting the line straighter faster through your reduction guides like you were saying through your running guides and you're going to travel further and straighter with those guides now you talked about that fast that moderate action was more like a fast action depending on what brand it was and things like that another thing you guys have to realize the fast mod fast that we were talking about earlier that was just kind of a generic letting you know about where it's going to bend there's no industry standard like yeah. if you're uh, going to say not. yeah if you're going to say something's a moderate fast a mod fast for abu garcia 
could be completely different than a mod fast from TFO, could be completely different from a mod fast from Pen. Like they're all gonna be completely different. I have been the person who does this before as well. When you go to buy a rod, don't just pick it up and shake it. I don't know why people grab it and then they just start shaking it. I've done it before, so I, I'm not like I'm not telling you guys like you're you're a horrible fisherman for doing that because I've done it. I've grabbed it and I I've still started do it. shaking it. Yes, they just people shake it. I don't know why they. It's shake just it. habit. You can't help it. You can't help it. Uh, but what you should do is you should set the rod on the floor. You should grab the tip and you should pull it over to see where it wants to bend to see if that is the action that you truly want, where you want it to bend in the rod. Is it, it's labeled a fast action, but when you bend it, you may be like, oh man, this is like a TFO, you know, mod fast. I, 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 let me look at their mod fast action, or let me look at their extra fast. You know, just really look at it and see what you want. Bend it yourself. Don't just, don't just sit there and shake it. And then going back to yeah. the guides, I'm a firm believer. I like micro guides for my baits that I need to feel the hit. So if I'm throwing a soft plastic, use micro guides. If I'm throwing, like, I have it on my chatterbait rods, but that's more because I like to feel the chatter. Like, I, I need to feel whenever I'm hitting something with that chatterbait, whether I'm going across the top of grass whether I'm hitting some oyster, I want to be able to feel all that. So on my chatterbait, my uh, soft plastic rods, I have the microwave bait caster, but it's also micro guides for your running guides on those. I love the micro guides. Some guys, if you have trouble seeing and you break off and you have to run it back through there, people can't see the holes in some of those micro guides. Or if you use leader a lot, it's hard to tie a knot small enough to get through those micro guides. Now, I'm throwing straight braid on everything because we're fishing in chocolate milk, except for my 15-pound fluoro whenever I'm sight casting. So I personally like micro guides. I like microwaves, and I don't like to grab a rod and just shake the hell out of it to see if I like it. Like, bend it down a little bit. Bend it down. But Matt, man, Definitely. I think I think we've went through went through your whole eight rods there. Um, anything Pretty else much, you want to hit on, or anything else you want to talk about? The floor is yours. You were talking about, you know, Salt Strong Fishing Coach. Tell us a little bit more about what is involved with the Salt Strong Fishing Coach and just Salt Strong in general for those who who don't know about it. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with Salt Strong, what we um really are all about is just kind of helping people create uh more memories with you know their friends and family through fishing you know i mean just like we were talking about when we first started you wanted to ask me what was my favorite fishing memory or earliest fishing memory and for me it was you know with my grandfather and those are some of my best memories um growing up as a kid getting to fish with my grandfather and spend time with him on the water so uh, salt strong that's what we're all about we really just want to be able to 
help others uh, create those kinds of memories with their family, friends, and loved ones so that they can kind of have the same type of experience that, you know, you or I may have had, you know, when we were young and got to have a great time with one of our loved ones. And, you know, so to kind of piggyback on that, that's what we want other people to have. Well, um, you know, they can't have those memories or those moments if they can't find the fish. So what I do, uh, my role with Salt Strong is to try and help people find the fish, you know, with based on the trends that, um, you know, we're, we're currently experiencing, whether that be, um, on the uh, micro level, whether that mean, you know, rain this weekend or on the macro level of, you know, we're in a spring to summer transition right now, you know. Um, so really it's all and all the way down to the um, rabbit hole details of, of, you know, major and minor deflection on a rod, you know. <laughs> um, so it's it, it's a little bit of everything, you know, that's that's what I do, you know, and I like to. um really help people create those moments with, um, you know, people. And, um, I've been fortunate enough to learn a lot of different applications over the years through freshwater fishing, um, and inshore fishing, learning a lot from other, from the other fishing coaches. I was even a salt strong member before I ever worked for them because I wanted to find out everything I could about inshore fishing. And they were the best source of information I could find. And, you know, not long later, um, I was blessed to be able to have an opportunity to work for him. Well, there, I mean, that just goes to show, you know, the type of information you can get from Salt Strong that you went from a member to a coach with the knowledge that you gained from Salt Strong. Yeah, yeah, um, no doubt. I was um, blessed to be able to pick up a lot along the way from um, not just the other coaches that I was working with, but, um, you know, uh, other individuals in my life that, you know, my family members that have been in, in the fishing industry for a long time, you know, so I've been able to kind of really learn a lot of the uh, the details that uh, weren't so finely honed, you know, per se, I guess is, is a good way to put it. You know, they were always there, but I didn't really uh, know all the correct application, you know, and I didn't really know how to make the puzzle completely come together. I understood some of the parts and I knew how to, you know, read the water and I knew all these things, but I didn't know how to fit the puzzle together to really make it um, all work. But, you know, over, you know, the course of a uh, few years, we've, um, you know, put together a pretty, pretty good plan of attack and it's been working for me for a while. There you go. Well, you know, it's been working for you this year for sure with those, you know, redfish trophies there behind you. I got one more question for you, though, man. So how often do you get on the water? How often are you in the yak on the water? So truthfully, um, and, you know, I actually had some people say uh, after this most recent win that, you know, I get to fish all the time because I work for Salt Strong, you know. So uh, it's um, I kind of got an unfair advantage. But um, just for those people that were saying that, uh, I promise you the last time I'd fished prior to Crystal River was the day that I'd won the trophy right behind it. So when I went to go win this one, exactly. When I went to go then win this one uh, in Crystal River, the last time I'd been fishing was the when I got off the water from winning the other. So I wasn't, um, which was a month earlier. So, mm -hmm. I mean, life, you know, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of work to do, a lot of videos to create. And, you know, I've 
definitely want to play an active part in helping our members and finding fish. So that's something I do on, uh, on a daily basis. So um, along with that and editing footage, uh, you know, here at home, it's uh, a, a lot to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we were talking about the editing, the footage and everything that takes up a lot of time, guys. If you haven't uh, got into the editing game and got your GoPro, we were talking about GoPro mounts and everything before we started recording. Like, it's a lot. Like, it is a lot, a lot just to make a five-minute video that has good production quality and good titles and everything else. It, it, it takes a while. So some of these guys that you think are fishing all the time – they're probably trying to film two or three or four segments whenever they're out on the water because they're spending a lot of time sitting there editing. Like my, myself, I'm on this podcast weekly and I'm talking about fishing weekly, but I'm like you, man. I may get to fish twice a month, maybe. If I fish three times a month, like that's a good month. Like my my wife may be a little upset and she's like, Hey man, you didn't been gone three Saturdays in a row. Like you, you need to come home and do something, but it's, it's usually, yeah, that's it. I mean, I don't want to say I'm a weekend warrior. I think I'm a little more than a weekend warrior, but I still don't get that much time out there. No, I know what you mean. Uh, I wish I got a little bit more than I do. Um, but you know, I, I get definitely, um, get to, uh, be out there as much as I can. And um, even when I'm not, I'm still getting to, you know, be a part of it because I'm either editing footage from the good days I had out there or I'm getting to help others create memories of their own out there. So it's a win-win. There you go. So before we get out of here, tell everybody where they can find you. If they want to they wanna follow your journey, if they want to hit you up for some salt strong fish coaching, like where, where, can, they, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. They can always find us on YouTube uh, at Salt Strong. That's, uh, you know, um, our YouTube channel. We have over 300,000 followers there. Um, and you can also find us at saltstrong.com. And uh, we have our online tackle store, fishstrong.com. But, uh, you know, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, anywhere, um, you know, your local hardware appliances are sold. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, guys, if you want to get in contact with Matt, uh, find him there at Salt Strong. As for me, I'm going to go get out of here because I need to go start rigging my rods for Galveston Redfish Series this weekend. Guys, go sign up. If you hear this on Thursday, April 13th, when it drops, you have one more day to sign up. One more day. The weather's going to hold out until after we get to the weigh-ins, I promise. Or I don't promise, but go ahead and check the weather and sign up. See ya.